Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Um, hello, I am joined with Eon. Hey, this is Eon, and you can find me at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. Whitey. Hi everyone, this is YD, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. Chicky. Hey, this is Chicky, you can find me at Chickren on Tumblr. And we have a brand new lovely guest, Kristen. Hi, this is Kristen, and you can find me at KRTMD at Tumblr. Karate Doctor. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) I am Lot, uh, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr. Um, Before we go into the episode, I just want to say we spoil all the things, and especially this episode. So we're going to be doing um, some season five spoiler discussion. So if you really. Oh, fuck, I forgot we were doing that. We totally are, aren't we? (laughs) You were supposed to remind me. I know. I reminded you, Chicky. Didn't you say? Wait, oh, no. spoilers. Uh oh. What? No one's no. guessed. <laughs> okay. It's okay. It's not it's something nice. we prepared yeah. for. Well, it's, been, it's been nice having you, Kristen. Obviously, if you have to She's go out. now. <laughs> She's out. Like, no, you... I spoil. Oh, she broke up on me oh, a little no. bit there. Oh, I'm She's sorry. I'm like, totally oh, spoiled. No worries. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go into it. Uh, so, season five spoilers. Um, so, are we all still excited about Jamie and Dorn? Oh. I am looking forward uh. to Jamie's many orgies in Dorn. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I'm all for the costume. Not yeah. the crazy one where he and Braun were in disguise, which looked like oh, just God. crazy town follicks to me. But <laughs> no, like the rest of it looked awesome. Yeah, I like I like his his uniform. I mean, I sorry, the costume looks awesome. I'm not the I'm one not concern I have with his costume is that it doesn't have the deep V cleavage like Oberon's <laughs> costume. Yeah, see, that's what I was about to say. Did Jamie just break into Oberman, Oberon Martell's wardrobe? <laughs> I liked uh, Guile's theory that there was like a second-hand store sale of Oberon's clothing. <laughs> oh, no. They needed to raise money somehow. They and have the a thing. are broke. There's like Back a whole and beyond house. Adorn. <laughs> yeah. They're all in robes. Ponds. Um, <laughs> I just want to say, uh, I'm going to gloat a little bit. <laughs> I did not like this idea of Jamie going to Dorne at all from the get-go. And I believe... Did I, anyone like the idea, though? I don't think anybody liked it, no. but we were all kind of, like... Except clearly, they weren't going to do the Riverlands. I mean, like, they did kind of set up to do the Riverlands. I don't understand why they why they decided not to, but they're not doing anything there. And, I mean, I guess we had to accept that Jamie was just going to have something to do all season. At least he's not hanging out with Cersei. I don't know. Imagine if they just left him in King's Landing to watch Cersei, like, nosedive or something. That would be even stupider. It would be harder to watch. Yeah. I believe my actual quote was, you're going the wrong way, fuckface. Yeah. It's definitely going the wrong way. I think everybody's biggest concern is the fact that we have been spoiled that Jamie is still in Dorne as of the ninth episode of the season. And as we all know, there are only ten episodes a season. And... 
So it's a pretty safe bet that we're not going to get our Jamie Brian reunion this year, which is bumming everybody out. Yep. Yeah. And he's there for quite a long time, isn't he? What episode does he arrive in Dawn? Do we know that? Like two or three or something. Two or three? I don't know. I thought there were there were originally rumors that of like four, three or four. I don't know. Who, who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah, the thing that's weird about it is that so many characters seem to be into Wynn's territory, and yet this would yeah. basically put Jamie behind his dance storyline if if they're going to do his dance storyline, I guess. Well, I just so that's a little concerning. That Jamie would, would happen upon a jetpack and just jetpack his way to Brienne in episode <laughs> 10. Well, speaking of uh, storylines and dance storylines, what the fuck is Tyrion doing in Marine? <laughs> oh, yeah, God. Tyrion and Danny are like BFFs now. Well, he is there. He is there at Daznak's pit, which is clearly what they're filming, but... Not sitting next to Daenerys. Not. <laughs> he is not on the now, I just told you. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, we, we pretty much knew that Danny and Tyrion were, were gonna gonna be BFFs eventually, and I guess yeah, it's happening but, sooner than we thought. I mean, that basically implicates or means, I guess, that we're not gonna get any Penny, we're not gonna get any young Griff. No, not at all. Yeah. And a whole bunch yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I think Aegon is gone. I yeah, yeah. Which makes sense in a way. I mean, if they really are shooting for seven seasons, you can see why. I mean, in the books, it feels like Egon's just kind of there to kind of clear the way for Danny. And like, you know, a lot of people have said Egon kind of is going to take the hit that Danny would have taken if she were the first to invade, and that she will seem less like the terrible invader that she is. Um. It's highly, <laughs> it's highly unlikely he's even really Egon. So, right, yeah. right. <laughs> I can I can see the show just saying we can't we can't explain this to people right like that he says he's this but he's not and so we're just not going to do it at all. Yeah, out of all the the differences, out of all the cuts that they've made, that is my the least of my concerns, really. Yeah, I kind of I kind of suspected that they might have to cut him. Just when they first started talking about seven seasons, I was like, how are they even going to begin to do the egg on thing? I don't even know. It makes sense. I mean, like I don't have a problem with it. I do wonder about the uh, the Ironborn, though. Is anything actually going to be happening with them this season? Feels like they're out. Feels mm. like they are cut. Yeah, I'm not so sad about that. <laughs> oh, really? I, I quite enjoy the Ironborn storyline. I mean, I like, I, you know, I like yeah. Asha. I like yeah. Asha, but um, I don't. I don't really love Euron or Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> does and anyone really love Euron? No one, no one does. <laughs> Great, Terry. <laughs> Boys. <laughs> yeah, it's, else, it's, it's weird that they're doing Dorne though if they're not going to do the Ironborn yeah. the fact that they're doing Dorne is the, is the one kind of outlier with this everything else feels like they're streamlining and yet this is the interesting thing that and the fact that well we don't really know what's going on with Stannis or Jon's storylines but Jamie seems to be the only one who is behind where his storyline would end wrapping Feast and Dance as opposed to pretty much everyone else so it's it's weird who the hell knows what's going on? Yep. Jetpack. Jetpack is really <laughs> Right, right, right. I think we're definitely going to be going into season five, like, totally not having any fucking clue what's going to happen. <laughs> Hold on to your seat. Uh, yep. Is there anything else from season five that you've heard or want to share before we move on? Not that no? I can think of. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to happen. They're filming it. It's on. Yeah, apparently. Apparently. Uh, well, let's go on to the chapter then. We're um, covering Jamie 7 from A Piece for Crows. And just a heads up, I wrote 
uh, the beginning of my notes on the train. So this ought to be fun. Um, <laughs> we start out with Emmett Frey. Um, he's pissed that the Blackfish has escaped, and Edmure Tully is pretty smug about the whole situation. His response <laughs> when asked by Jay, um, by I think it's Jamie who asks him, or Emmett who asks him, where is he? Um, his reply is, fish swim. Jamie has an inkling to smack him across the mouth. <laughs> he's got a taste for that now, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bitch slap of justice. <laughs> Jamie threatens to uh, bury him in the obulates beneath the rock. His new wife, too. And uh, that seems to loosen Edmure's tongue a bit. And he admits that um, Brendan Tully did swim beneath the gate. Um, he lift, They lifted it only enough for him to go and eat beneath the waters. And I kind of love this imagery, don't you, of him escaping under I've that actually gate. got the line. I've got the line written down because I think it's awesome. Go it for says, it. Um, and he slipped under our boom the same way, no doubt. A moonless night, board guards, a black fish in a black river floating quietly downstream. That's so good. <laughs> I love, I love it. it. Oh, me too. Um, so Jamie has men searching um, with hounds. Emin is anxious because he's pretty sure Brendan will return to you know try to reclaim River Run. Uh, Jamie doesn't voice his concerns, but he seems certain that Blackfish will not give up the fight either. Lady, I love how Jamie's like trying to keep up a front here. That <laughs> he's like, no, no, we'll find him, we'll find him, don't worry. And then internally, he's like, crap, we're never going like, to find him. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably in dawn by now. <laughs> Uh, Lady Jenna gets a dig in at her husband. Um, she tells him, this is your sea. If you cannot hold it, put it to torch and run back to the rock. Love I love it. how petulant he is as well. He's all like, river runs mine. No one will take it from me. <laughs> he sounds like Stannis. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Good thing Comma's not on this. It's a fine word. <laughs> I'm in France, it's damn. mine, it's mine <laughs> My precious <laughs> So um, uh, Jenna and Emin leave And then Edmure tells Jamie That he'll never know how sick it makes him To see him in his father's solar He also adds You'll never know how much I despise you Jamie's reply is I've been despised by better men than you um, Ooh, Jamie, yeah, Jamie orders Edmure To be taken to his tower and fed He's looking at maps in the solar when Jane Westerling and her mother are brought in. Jamie thinks she's a pretty girl, but not worth losing a kingdom for. She's with child, or he thinks she might be with child, and if she is, that makes her more dangerous than the blackfish. She has a scab on her forehead where her mother had smacked her um, for not giving up the crown that Rob had given her. Her mother tries to smack her again when she cries how she had no right to take the crown and that she loved Rob. Jamie steps in at this moment and uh, saves love Jamie, Jane from being smacked around. Yeah, I love how sort of kind he is to Jane here. And I mean, I guess that's kind of indicative of Jamie's personality, isn't it? He tends to protect the weak and, and women as well. Yeah, he's gallant when it comes to women. He's well, I love that he noticed chivalrous. that she had this little cut, and he's like, what happened there? What's going on? Yeah. And that's what brings out the story that Sybil had taken away Jane's crown, is that Jane was concerned about her. It, it's exactly. it's interesting. He always seems to find compassion for people that he really doesn't need to have any compassion for, and this is a uh, really I good think, example of that. I think he appreciates Jane's story. I think he can kind of understand. I mean, of everyone, Jamie is the one who understands what people do in the name of love. So I think he respects her for, 
you see the difference in the way he treats her and her mother. He's, he treats Jane with quite a bit of respect, whereas he has no time for Sybil. Yeah, well, he always admires... I mean, what does he admire? He admires people who are honourable, he admires people who are brave, and he really admires loyalty. And Jane is right now exhibiting all of those things, and so, of course, exactly. he's going to admire her. He always admires that. Mm. And Sybil has none of those things. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> She's a piece oh, of Sybil. work. Yeah. She sure is. <laughs> so... They sit and uh, Jamie asks if Jane is with child. Uh, At this point, Jane Jane tries to flee, but is stopped by guards. Um, Did anyone else find it suspicious that she would have tried to have fled at that point if she wasn't pregnant? I think she's just very upset about the whole situation. Hmm. I suspect she she might be afraid she's going to be examined or something, too. God knows that happens. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, I actually found that interesting. That, well, not really interesting that Jamie didn't do that, but I think any other man probably would have done that to ensure that she was actually telling the truth. So I think you're onto something there, Chicky. Well, Although there we do a- have Sybil saying for sure that yeah. she's not. But that's just her word. But that's her word. True, true. Yeah. What were you going to say, Eon? Oh, it was about Sybil Spicer saying that she was pretty much giving her moon tea or something. Right, she's been yeah. giving her moon tea as part of her deal yeah. with Tywin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know people don't necessarily believe that, but she grew up in the shadow of the rock. I can't imagine that she would cross Tywin but he's no, for, I think the, it's, for the Starks. Yeah, I think we pretty well know that she had a deal with Tywin. I, I, oh, God. What is it, in, in Clash or in, in Storm of Swords? It's pretty clear. Tywin says so. What does Tywin say? Yes, no, they definitely had a deal. So yeah. I, don't, I don't recall exactly what he says, but, they, yeah, they had a deal about him um, providing, you know, worthy marriages for Jane and her, and her sister. Yeah, we hear about the deal here, but, yeah, it's even before this we have an inkling that mm-hmm. this is happening because mm-hmm. Tywin, I forget, God damn Tywin it. says, um, they, he says something about, Charlotte, it's a conversation between him and Tyrion, and he says, oh, they're well aware of the reigns of Castamir. Hmm. And he um, says something about Sybil herself, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what they're awarded, right? Like the Spicers get Castamir. The brother. The brother, yeah. Right. Yeah. It doesn't go to the Westerlings. It goes to the Spicers. It's her mm-hmm. and her brother who cook this deal up and keep Jane from getting pregnant. Yeah, well, Jamie notes that she's wearing a seashell necklace, which is, I think, the Spicer... Um, sigil and yeah. so yeah it's very clear her allegiance is to her own house first and then the house that she married yeah. into second yes yeah so uh, they um sybil westerling tells jamie she did as time and asked and made sure that jane was not pregnant they talk shop and all the deals and promises Tywin made to lady sybil she was promised husbands for her daughters lords or heirs um, jamie agrees but conditionally jane must wait two years to wed so there's no uh talk about her possibly having Rob's child. Uh, Lady Sybil tells Jamie she has two sons, Roland and Reynold, who went to the twins. She hopes that he is a prisoner. Um, Jamie thinks that he might be dead. Jamie promises if Reynold is alive, he'll pay the ransom. Lady Sybil mentions um, of the promises Tywin made for a match for Reynold to Joy at Casterly Rock. She bristles when Jamie tells her Joy is Jerrion's natural daughter, a bastard. You know what's funny is that Joy is actually betrothed twice. We don't know if it's an error or not, but Tywin betrothes her to one of the phrase. Tywin promises Joy to Walder for one of his 
signs of yeah, I noticed that too. I wasn't sure if it was just that betrothal was broken and we just didn't hear about it, or was it just something that we overlooked in the writing phrase? With the phrase, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know if we've ever heard if it was it was if it was an error or what. Well, I noticed when I was reading it too, joy wasn't capitalized. Exactly, I was just about to say that. See, Jamie misunderstands when she says joy. She means happiness. He assumes Joy the girl. Yeah, right? yeah. that's yeah. the way I read it too. Yeah, but he well, he thinks that his father was making a joke is the way that it's written. I think mm. he's like, oh, my father was making a joke with you. He said you'd have joy of him, and what he meant was his bastard niece. But oh, that's funny oh. because I read mine on on uh, online PDFs, and I just assumed that was a typo. <laughs> 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 But oh, either yeah. way, Joy has Joy has Joy has been betrothed twice, and whether this is intentional or not, what we do know is that the phrase don't take well to um, their marriages <laughs> marriage alliances being broken. So this could really? be set How up do you know? Something. Oh no! <laughs> could be bad. Could be bad. Well, and Sybil's pissed too because she doesn't want yeah. a a bastard for a bride for her right. son. Oh, she's quite insulted, yeah. actually. She's yeah. insulted. And Jamie and thinks Jamie that's funny. Just, Jamie just. <laughs> Yeah, Jamie snaps and doesn't he? His clearly not ins- is amazing. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> it's great. It's like, um, hmm. she's like, you don't, you want a Westerling to marry a bastard, and his response is, no more than I want Joy to marry this son of some turncloak bitch. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, he's really, uh, as we touched on before, he's really unimpressed with with Sybil's scheming. He doesn't that sort of behaviour does not impress him at all. And I think, I don't know, it sort of ties back to Jamie's distaste of of men who don't fight hand-to-hand. I sort of see that a little bit. You know, we see in his earlier chapters, he men- mentions how much he hates archers and the like, and we know that Jamie believes in fighting fair. He doesn't really have any mind for treachery or, or unfair advantages or scheming. Um, and he does say to Sybil that her daughter is worth ten of her. So, you know, as I said before, despite Jane... You know, she's kind of in direct opposition to Jamie here. He can respect her because she's following her heart. And as Chicky said, she's loyal. She's not after the promise of riches or a better station. And even now that, that Rob is dead, she's not going to turn on him. Um, so, you know, she's she's kind of an innocent. She's honest. She's loyal. We all know that Jamie likes that in a woman. <laughs> does, yeah. It's you know, in, we it's should int- mention... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Chris. I was just going to say it's interesting that that the... The position, though, that Sybil has been scheming with his own father, right? I mean, he's against her scheming and he's sort of put off by it and calls her a turncloak bitch. But, you know, it's his own family's position benefits from that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, look, I think Jamie is having such a strong negative reaction to Sybil here in part because of uh I guess it's a consequence of him being haunted by his discovery of Cersei's betrayal and manipulations as well. Um, yes. And we, as we read on, um, he calls for the guardsmen to take Sybil away. And there's a line, uh, Jamie had to wonder how much Lord, is it Gowan? Gowan knew about his wife's scheming. And then he mm-hmm. thinks, how much do we men ever know? So it's clearly mm-hmm. tied into his thoughts about Cersei and her betrayal yeah. as well. I picked yes. up on that too. I thought it was kind of a deliberate um, use of the women that uh, he wrote into this chapter. Yeah. Um, Before we go on, though, we need to note about Sybil Spicer is that Sybil Spicer is the granddaughter of Maggie the Frog from Lannisport, yes. who we know yeah. from Cersei's chapters. Hmm. Fascinating. That's how she learned to make moon tea, I would suspect. Probably. Mm. So... 
<clears throat> Jamie tells her to stay out of his sight, and, <laughs> and then she's dismissed. He wonders, and then as Whitey said uh, that line, he wonders how much men um, really ever know of, of what the women are scheming. Um, when the Westerlings and Edmure depart, 400 men ride with them. Ten men will stay with Edmure day and night. Long bowmen are ready to kill him if he tries to flee. Jamie asks Sir Forley that bowmen watch Jane as well, and uh, this kind of shocks Sir Forley a little bit. And uh, he informs him that Jane is twice as dangerous as Edmure if she were to escape. Jamie rides past Sir, um, sorry, Lord Gawain, uh, Lady Sybil, and Jane, who has torn her dress in mourning. Jamie wonders if Cersei would have torn her dress if she were to hear that he was dead. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Oh, you go ahead, Ian. Oh, I was just um, thinking about the tearing of clothes. And I don't even recall any other characters that were in mourning in A Song of Ice and Fire where they tore their clothes. I can't remember Catelyn ever doing this, but I actually looked into actually the, the process of tearing clothes during mourning. And it's actually a... A custom that um, the Ju- Judeo-Christians, and even to this day in Judaism, they tear their clothes in mourning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I was just going to say, um, you know, we've got Jamie here wondering whether Cersei would, would mourn him if he would die. And it's it's kind of this continuing theme throughout this chapter. And then it reaches a climax at the very end, which we'll get to, um, of... I guess the way that Cersei's betrayal is is affecting Jamie, and you know, despite what she's done to him, despite all her manipulations, there is still a part of Jamie that wants Cersei, that wants her to love him. Um, it's it's really carefully woven throughout this chapter, just how confused Jamie is about Cersei. Um, and as I said, we will get to the very end, and we'll see some some interesting behaviour from, from yeah. Jamie. It's kind of like he's indirectly expressing hurt at what's gone on yes. with the Cersei thing, like. Him wondering if she would tear her ground, like would she, would she, would she even care? That's something that you Does wonder. She care? Yeah, it's he like, doesn't think of it that way me? because he's Jamie. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't did actually. Does she ever you know, love think. me? Does she love yeah. me still? Would she mourn me if I died? Yeah, That's kind of. You're right. Yeah, you're kind of he's Jamie. He doesn't have the yeah. thoughts. It's just, he doesn't yeah. have the direct thought. It's it's. No. You can hear the hurt in what he does say, whereas he doesn't say, "I'm really hurt." <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I mean, that's not Jamie, is it? He's not going to come out and think that. That's a much. So um, on his way back, he stops to speak with Edwin Frey to discuss the transfer of prisoners left from the Red Wedding. Edwin, not to be confused with Emin, <laughs> tells Can him... Can I just say, there are way too many Freys. Like, yeah. I had to keep looking them up and, you know, I couldn't keep them apart. It was... Oh, there's I too know. many. There's just time too to, many time names. To killing off the Freys. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Lady Stoneheart, huh? Kill the Freys. <laughs> <laughs> Kill them all. I'm totally We're with her their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Edwin tells him, um, my father's blood is on your hands. And he's like, well, what do you mean by that? And apparently on Jamie's order, they were told to return home. And on the way, um, his father and his whole party were hanged. They think it was either Thoris of Mir, Beric Dondarrion, or this woman Stoneheart. Or but did you notice where? <laughs> but did you notice where? They say they, the outlaws caught them two leagues south of Fair Market. And if we'll recall in Brienne's last chapter, yeah. we know that Lady Stoneheart had just returned from Fair Market. So this is kind of putting some pieces together yep. about yeah, her information network. Yeah. Right. Well, and this is how they she gets the crown. Ryman Frey had exactly. the crown. Yep. 
ding dong. The queen of whores was wearing it. <laughs> she's no longer. She's no longer queen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jamie thinks that these outlaws are getting pretty bold to kill Ryman Frey a day's ride from the twins. There's a bit of speculation on Edwin Frey's part um, and who he believes is behind the attack, and he's convinced that it's. Um, his brother, Black Walder, he insists he must have spies in the camp. Jamie asks that when Edwin returns to the twins, Tolman requires all the captives they took at the Red Wedding. Edwin tells Jamie that his father will expect recompense in exchange. And Jamie thinks, he'll have it when I grow a new hand. <laughs> I love it that Jamie does this, that Jamie insists on getting all of the hostages who are stuck at the twins back. Mm-hmm. Jamie clearly doesn't like the situation and he doesn't like that Walder Frey is trying to hold on to these people. Yeah, yeah. It's much like the way that he frees the garrison a bit later on as well. Yeah, I yeah. think too in a way it almost speaks to like he doesn't like what Tywin did. Okay. He doesn't. He never has liked the Red no, Wedding. He doesn't like, no, he doesn't, he doesn't like what Tywin did. Well, and his contempt for the phrase is constant. You see it again here. Yeah. Um. So... He asks about Reynold Westerling, and um, he's believed to be dead. The next day, Jamie orders the siege equipment and gallows set to torch. Jamie fights with Sir Illyn in the evenings, and he is getting slightly better. Uh, he has this thought where he says, in a year's time, I may be as good as Peck. <laughs> so it's, it's slow going, but he is improving. Jamie finds Sir Illyn to be the perfect drinking companion as well as sword companion. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. interrupt, never disagrees, never complains or um, tells boring stories. He just drinks and listens. Jamie remarks that he should have all the tongues removed from his friends and kin. He says a silent Cersei would be sweet, although he'd miss her tongue when they kissed. Like that's going to happen. <laughs> I read this passage right here as Jamie being drunk. I even wrote in my notes, Jamie, you're drunk, go home. <laughs> Jamie, you're drunk, go home. Look, I think he probably is, probably is drunk. I didn't even consider that. But I think, you know, as I said before, I think he's just very confused about Cersei's betrayal. And yeah, look, he's probably done with her, as we will find out shortly. But there are still going to be times when when Jamie has these thoughts of being with Cersei, of of wanting her, of wondering if she'd mourn him if he died, as as he's just thought. I mean, it takes time to change ingrained patterns of thinking. You don't just switch off strong feelings, especially feelings you've had since you were a child, especially the obsessive kind of feelings (laughs) since birth. (laughs) But yeah, especially like obsessive feelings, um, the kind that Jamie had for Cersei. You know, she was his she was his world. She was his everything. Um, you know, every time he was in danger, every time he was away from her, the only thing he could think of was, was her, was getting back to her. So, you know, of course some of those thoughts of wanting her would, would rebound. Right now, Jamie's this whirlwind of emotion and confusion. He's, he's still trying to work everything out in his head. Yeah, I love I love this passage. I love everything about it. I I like the idea that we're seeing him continue to to practice with Ellen, and that Ellen has fallen into this you know basically friend role. <laughs> but yeah. I, I love that Jamie's improving. Clearly, he's he's getting better at the sword fighting. It's interesting that George keeps us up throughout feast. That Jamie is continuing to fight, is continuing to improve with his left hand, and then we find that he's drinking a lot after he's done practicing, and you know which is typical of someone going through a breakup. 
Yeah. I just love mm-hmm. everything about it. There's a lot of Jamie's humanity in these things. You kind of have to kind of have to realize what you're seeing when you see it. But yeah, he is drunk at the end of this <laughs> at the end of the night. That's what's happening. Do you think that George is putting in these mentions of Jamie improving because we're going to be seeing Jamie fighting in the near future? I mean, I don't know. It could be. Could be. Well, and it, I, I think that if he had done the five-year time gap as he had planned, that we would have found a Jamie who was improved, a la yeah. Corn Half Hand. And right. so because he didn't do that, right, he's going to have to show it to us. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, so he continues on. Uh, Tyrion told him whores don't kiss, and he wonders if Cersei kissed Kettle Black. <laughs> he is just spilling the beans here. So coming out. Jamie thinks he should geld Osmond and send him to the wall, but he doesn't know what to do with Cersei. Ilan drags his finger across his throat. Uh-huh. No, he would. Jamie says, for the sake of Tolman, who has already lost the man he thought of as his father. He doesn't want Marjorie to turn Toman against him also for if he was to kill Cersei. I thought this was really quite interesting because you would think that, you know, Jamie would lose his temper or <laughs> that Ilan was, you know, basically he's saying kill Cersei. But there's like, he has this like logical process. It's, there's no emotional reaction. Well, there is. But but what is it? It's concern about Tommen rather than, than Cersei. I mean... This is the beginning of Jamie finally taking some responsibility for what his life actually is. He's been in a little bit in denial about fatherhood and about his responsibilities in the Kingsguard, his responsibilities to his family as a whole, his responsibilities as a Lannister. And all of these things are coming home to roost now. He's realizing, oh, I've, I've got to take some responsibility. And you just kind of see it trickling in throughout this chapter. And this is another spot. He's worried about Tommen and he'll, he'll be worried again about him in this chapter. I was going to um, say, you do see it just a couple of pages on, I think. He, Jamie is really contemplating stepping up as, a, I guess, into a father role for Tom, and, and he's prepared to fight for him. He's prepared to fight Cersei for him. He's, he's contemplating, hmm, how do we get rid of Cersei so that I can, I guess, in a way, take her place and to ensure that Tommen doesn't become another Joffrey. Yeah, well, and it's just a very mature way to approach it, the way that he's approaching mm. it. He's actually thinking, okay, what would this mean to Tommen if I did X, Y, or Z? Which, well, you know, we argue a lot about Cersei being a narcissist and how much she actually loves her children. And, and this is kind of one of those signs where Jamie, Jamie, if he does take this parental role that he seems to be trying to, to, to grab onto, is that he's actually considering what this would mean for his children as opposed say, to for himself. Be, it may even be less logical and more just Jamie doing what a father should be doing, doing what a parent should be doing and, and looking to the, uh, the needs of the child the as opposed interest, to the, yeah. right, what's in the best interest of the child. Well, and a, and a change in Jamie's thinking too, where he's usually more reactionary, you know, where he acts yeah. and then he, and then he thinks and, and rationalizes what he's done. And yeah. this whole chapter is about him thinking about what he should do and then trying to act to achieve it. Right, he is very, very contemplative in this chapter. It's a, it is a bit of a different Jamie. So uh, the next day, Sir Demont reports that there is no sign of the Blackfish, but he does report how terrible the wolves have become. They have no fear of men and are led by a giant direwolf. 
Jamie wonders oh. if it's the same one who bit Joffrey near the crossroads. Ding, ding, good ding. Guess. Good yes. guess, Jamie. Good guess. <laughs> <laughs> we get a sense that things are wrapping up nicely. Jamie's feeling pretty content with how things are going. Men are returning home. Strongbore is going back to Derry to fight the outlaws and hopefully earn a name for himself, killing the hound. I love the spot where you see one of the river lords even approaching Jamie about resolving the final holdout of the war, which he's going to go confront with the the Blackwoods and the Brackens. And um, I think it really speaks to Jamie's character that one of the river lords would approach him and try to help resolve this, where you know that, that none of them are Jamie's friends to begin right. with, but they clearly liked right. what they saw yeah. at the siege. So and it's, it's interesting how we were talking about Tywin and the way that he goes about doing things, whereas Jamie obviously clearly does things in a in a different way and, and he's a good leader and he really does try to do what's best, which is funny because still we see Jamie's thoughts about how he's not a good man, how he's not honourable, and yet we, we see the total opposite in his actions throughout these chapters and people really do, I think, respect the way that he... Uh, has ended things at, at River Run the way that he treats even his opponents with respect. Mm-hmm. Although there's the other side of Jamie still, like you know, putting putting the bowmen on Edmure and Jane and saying mm-hmm. shoot them if they. That's <laughs> they a yeah. Look, I, I don't think I don't think Jamie's ever going to lose that part of him either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want him to. I still want Jamie no. to do that spark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit of his Tywin was showing there. <laughs> so um, Jamie reminds Strongbor that uh, Beric Dondarrion is to be brought in alive to die with 1,000 witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> I like that bit too. I like that line of that's the only way he'll stay dead or whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, war is all but one, Jamie thinks, and he managed to keep his word, never taking up arms against Stark or Tully. Jamie thinks of Tolman, his son. Now um, the word son is used. What? Yeah. Son? Mm-hmm. That is brand new information. <laughs> he, wonders, <laughs> he wonders if the boy would like to know that he is his father. Cersei would probably tell him it was a lie. He thinks he needs to separate her from Tolman before she creates another Joffrey. Sir Kevin might agree to serve his hand if he can set her aside. Jamie contemplates others um, if Kevin refuses position of the hand including Littlefinger. I'm like, what yeah. are you thinking? I was like, Jamie. Jamie's like, yeah, he's too low-born low to be a threat to the Great Lords. <laughs> I'm like, do you really still, do you really want Littlefinger right near your son whispering at his ear? <laughs> not entirely think, sure that's a good idea. I think that really goes to show you how much of a front that Littlefinger has on everybody. I mean, nobody yeah. really, really sees him as a, a, as a threat. And Jamie is pretty good at reading people. And yeah, he's I think totally Chicky, tricked Jamie. I think Chicky's mentioned this before about how the only one who really thinks Littlefinger is, you know, a super smart scheming villain is Littlefinger himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some question about how smart how smart Littlefinger actually is. But yeah, you know, really the only one we really see with, with Littlefinger's number is Tyrion. Tywin himself, you know, doesn't, I don't think anyone necessarily completely trusts Littlefinger, but they think they have their, their finger on him. They think right. they control him. And that includes mm-hmm. Tywin, includes a lot of pretty smart, pretty powerful people. Arrogant people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. We don't talk a lot about what's happening in this passage. Um, what Jamie's saying when he's saying, you know, my place is with my king and, he talks about Tommen. He talks about taking control, basically, with Tommen. And you don't see much discussion of it. But what you're seeing Jamie say here, basically, 
is that he's going to become regent. Um, there's no way he could do what he's talking about doing, like appoint Tommen's hand and things like that. At the new council, right. yeah. If he isn't regent. So yeah. this is a new Jamie, and it's funny, you, you rarely see this discussed, but this is a Jamie who is actually preparing to go completely take the reins of power away from Cersei. Uh, mm. And we don't really know for sure how he thinks he's going to do that. Knowing Jamie, he's probably just going <laughs> to try to run through it. I mean, he would have if he'd been there. Um, but it's interesting to think that this is how far Jamie, Jamie has come. He has no interest in power. Yeah, so he, you know if he wants to do this, it's because he thinks it has to happen, as opposed to being yeah. something he wants. Yeah, setting yeah, Cersei kind of a... aside is going to be interesting. He is going to have to cut out her tongue if he plans to <laughs> try to push her out. He'd probably have to do more than that. But yeah, it's kind of like a brave new world for Jamie. I think it's, I guess it's just more indication of the change in his mind because as Chicky said, he's never really had an interest in power. He's never had an interest in politics, despite the fact that we know that he does have a fairly good grounding in, in political uh, scheming, I guess. He knows about it. He just didn't want any part of it prior to this. But now he's, you know, he's going to step up. He's going to get in there, help out Tommen as best he can. And as Chicky said, the only way that he can really put all of these pieces into place, appointing Tommen's new council, appointing a new new hand, is to, to be regent and to take on an immense amount of power, really, which is something he's never shown any interest in prior to this. He's growing up. Time not to mention grow up. Well, and not <laughs> to mention <laughs> you have to you have to you have to think about what this means for his relationship with Cersei. I mean there's no going back. Nope. From oh, taking right. the crown away from yeah. Cersei. I mean, if you don't have to read more than maybe a paragraph of any of Cersei's chapters in this book yeah. <laughs> so <she laughs> to was. know how much it means to her to be yeah. in power. Yeah, and so this is something they would never recover from. It's the from. thing yeah. she loves the most. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly. the only thing she loves. Because mm. she is going to, you know, if he plans to do it, he's got to figure something out with her because she's going to lose her mind. Yeah. <laughs> she sure is. <laughs> So uh, the next morning, the Tully garrison departs unarmed after they swear never to take up arms against Lord Emmon or House Lannister. Yeah. Oh. Sounds like the Brotherhood without banners just gained a lot of new recruits. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Two men from the Tully garrison request to take the black instead. Jamie allows it and then sends a dozen of Gregor's men to escort them north. Days pass and Lord Emmon Frey gather all his people in the courtyard, giving them three, a three, at uh, this part, he gives them a three hour speech on what is to be expected <laughs> of them now that he is Lord of River Run. Oh, Damn, Lord. I'm sad I missed that speech. <laughs> the singer Tom of Seven Strings makes a joke to Jamie that Emmon should have been a singer because he seems to like his own voice. <laughs> it's the <laughs> same singer he took from Sir Ryman. He play uh, he plans to stay on at River Run. Jamie tells him that he should please Jenna. She's the one that matters. And of course, Tom of Sevens is the spy for the Brotherhood without Banners. Right, yeah, has to yeah. until he opens the gates to uh, to his fellow brothers. Mm-hmm. Red Wedding Two Point that night jamie dreams he's standing sigil over his father's corpse a woman walks in who he thinks is cersei she is cloaked and hooded jamie realizes it's not her um i mean he never really says it's his mother but it's pretty much his mother 
This is a dream, he says. She tells him to count his hands. He only has one in his dream. He usually has two. We all have dreams of things we cannot have. Tywin dreamed that his son would be a great knight and his daughter would be a queen. He dreamed that they would be strong and brave and beautiful and no one would laugh at them. I am a knight and Cersei a queen. A tear rolls down her cheek. She walks away. Don't leave me. He wanted to call. But of course, she'd left him long ago. That was so sad. This dream is interesting. It's so funny, you know, there's more discussion of this dream of Jamie's than there is of his weirwood dream. And um, people kind of fall into two camps that either this is some sort of pr- prophetic dream or vision or, you know, that this is, is just a dream of, with Jamie's subconscious. But you, you usually see more of the prophetic dream or vision going on. That's funny. I'm in the latter camp. I think Me too. As am I. Yeah. I think it's, well, yeah. I mean, I've seen the theories. I've seen people suggest it's Blood Raven. <laughs> I've seen people suggest that it's Joanna Lannister contacting Jamie through obsidian candles. Oh, yeah, I've um, seen that. Yeah, the, all the Joanna faking her death theories yeah. as well. And oh, also that uh, Jamie and Cersei aren't really Tywin's uh, children. Well, how Clearly, you- they're, they're secret targs because <laughs> Joanna says, you know, uh, Tywin wanted a, you know, his son to be a great knight and his daughter to be a queen, which clearly they they are, but are they? And yeah, well, I mean, that in, in the in line my, of, of I wonder if you ever truly knew your father or whatever him, it is is another yeah, thing they right. base a, they they base yeah. a lot of the secret Targaryen theories on that line. Right, but in my mind, I mean, this is more likely than not just a dream that's kind of reflecting Jamie's current mindset and I think it should be interpreted within the context of Jamie's arc I mean you know he's struggling with his identity since the hand chop and in the dream we have Joanna asking him who are you Um, and in the dream Jamie also says in my dreams I always have two hands so you know could imply maybe that Jamie's finally coming to terms with the loss of his hand you know this isn't a dream kid it's real and yeah he's also had this He's coming off this relatively good experience in River Run. He says himself he's feeling content, he's happy with what he's achieved there, and perhaps he's realising, oh, well, life can go on after losing my hand. You know, I can still be useful in the world. And we see that, I guess, as we were saying, with his um, ambition now, I guess, to go back to Tommen and and to prevent him from becoming another Joffrey, to help him grow into his power. And yeah. then we've got... You go ahead, Chicky. I was just going to say, you know, I actually see a lot of, um, I don't know what, what term I would use, but there's a little bit of a theme of parenthood in this. And um, mm. it's it's really clear for all three of Tywin's kids, obviously with Tyrion having never known his mother, but for all three of them, Tywin was the the primary parent, the parent who imprinted and, and the one who had by far the most influence on them. And it's interesting that it's his mother who comes to him now as he's thinking about Becoming a parent and taking responsibility right. and, yeah. and and his role in his children's lives. I mean, he is the shadow parent in his own children's lives. And here he's confronted with his mother, who was the shadow parent in his own life. Yeah. And I think there's got to be something to that. And the other yeah. thing is, he's been chasing the ghost of his father throughout this book. I mean, his chapters open with his vigil over Tywin's body. And, you know, Tywin's legacy is so strong. And he's he's been trying to live up to it. And... It's interesting the way that Joanna says to him, you know, I'm not sure you ever knew your father. Mm-hmm. And and there's more to it than that. You know, she says, you never understood what he really wanted or that, that what he did, he wanted most was not to be laughed at. And what she's actually saying is that she's exposing, you know, Tywin's underbelly and that Tywin had fears and things like that. And I, I, I kind of feel a coming of age thing in this, you know, that yeah, thing where you sure. reach an age where you 
are, are you're, you're aware of what your parents may have been like at your age. I remember when I hit 36, yeah. I could remember when my dad turned 36. And for me, it was like a really weird aha moment. Like, oh, my parents are human beings and, and they didn't know any more than right. I do. And, yeah, there's <laughs> you know, always that, that point thing. in yeah. time. There's always yeah. that point in time where, you know, you, you realize your parents are actually just people too and they have their own fears and they have their own failures. They're not the, you know, I used to think <laughs> my parents had it all worked out they were you know they couldn't make mistakes and you do you do come to realize oh they're just they're just people too okay (laughs) yeah for for me this is just kind of one of those you know my place in the universe things for Jamie. Jamie is a parent. Jamie is a child. Jamie yeah. has his, as his own man. There's a lot going on in this dream. Yeah. Oh, there's so much going on. I mean, we've got, what else do we have? Um, Joanna insinuating that Jamie isn't a knight. You know, she says, we all want things we can't have. Tywin wanted his son to be a great knight. And in, in Jamie's eyes, he, he kind of believes this. You know, he isn't a tr- he thinks he isn't a true knight. And this is a recurring thought that Jamie has throughout his chapters. He's not honourable. He's not chivalrous. He he says, um, ask Edmure about the trebuchet. Ask him how chivalrous I am. But we see that this isn't actually true. Despite Jamie thinking that he's not knightly, we see the opposite in his actions. You know, he's a man who keeps his word. And we see this time and time again now, including in this very chapter, we see him set the garrison free because he told Edmure that he would, despite the fact that Jenna's strongly object- objecting to it. And we see how happy Jamie is to have been able to resolve the situation in River Run without having to take up arms against Starks or Tullys, as he promised Catelyn. You know, he is a man who is who is brave and chivalrous. He protects those in need. He's, we've seen it with Pierre and, and the Mountains men. We, we've seen it with Brienne multiple times, uh, with the Mummers and the Bear. Uh, and again, we see it with Jane and her mother in this chapter. Jamie's not a fan of senseless violence, and he, he's trying to do what's right and what's fair. So we sort of see this whole nightly um, theme, I guess, throughout as well. And that's clearly something that's playing on Jamie's mind. Well, and it, um, it's. Sorry, it's also what no, he did. Like, it's what he did when he when he killed Eris, mm-hmm. right? He protected all the little. That's right. Landing, and then was labeled a horrible person for it. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like the dream is kind of. Uh, it's just a, it's confusing because it's a dream because Jamie's confused, and that's often the nature of dreams. It's kind of like a an amalgam of all his thoughts and fears, and I think hopes. For the future, you know, as Tiki was saying, he hopes to be a better parent. Um, it's all sort of, I I think this dream is actually, there's a lot in here. It's even more so than the dreams that Jamie has in uh, near Harrenhal or outside of Harrenhal. Isn't the don't leave me that he calls to her, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't he say that in his, the dream yeah. that sends him back yeah, for Brienne? His- all his mm-hmm. dreams, he seems to be calling out to people not to leave him. Right. Mm-hmm. But, the, yeah, it's but kind of, it, it's his family. They're all leaving him. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting as well, as I was reading the dream, you can kind of see this theme as as Joanna as a stand-in for Cersei in, in this dream. Because, mm-hmm. you know, at first when Jamie starts dreaming, there's this hooded figure that walks in and Jamie thinks it's Cersei. Um and, you know, we all know that hoods are sort of a, <laughs> a symbol of secrets or delusion or whatnot. Well, and, and then call he, back to the sep scene with, with right, Ty, when yep. he's standing vigil at Ty, for Tywin and she appears. 
Yeah. And then, you know, who Jamie thinks is Cersei in this dream turns into someone else, which is his mother. And that sort of indicates to me, you know, Cersei's not who Jamie thought she was. And then uh, later in the dream, I think Jamie makes reference to to not knowing her. He says, uh, what does he say? Can I forget someone I never knew? Um, which, you know, obviously if you take it literally, it's like, well, I didn't really know my mother because she died when I was young. But also, you know, as Cersei is a stand-in or Joanna is a stand-in for Cersei, he's thinking, oh, did I ever really know Cersei? You know, I don't think I did. Uh, it must be pretty damn close to how he feels about Cersei yeah, right now. For sure. Okay. We spent a lot of time on this dream. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much more. It's an important dream. It's a really important There's dream. so much more. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, he wakes up. <laughs> Uh, his window has come open. He crosses the room to close it, and his foot steps into snow. Jamie thinks winter is marching south, and half the yeah, but it's weird. No, I got to stop you. He actually thinks it's blood when he yes. first puts his yeah. foot in whatever this wetness is, and I have no idea what that means. I've never known. Ideas? I think it's just I'm always so literal, but like <laughs> I just think it's like that startling thing when you like I don't know. Sometimes once I had like Play-Doh in my bed. <laughs> You know, and you put your foot on it. You're like, what the hell is that? It's just a shocking sensation you're not expecting. I thought you said, I swear to God, I thought you just said Plato. And then I realized you said Plato. <laughs> like, Pla- you had Plato in your yeah, bed? Yeah, this, this, this guy Plato I met, he's I'm really cool. I'm into I just thought it was interesting that he thinks he's stepping in blood. And, like, shortly after that, he's receiving this letter from his sister. Hmm. Yeah, it, it means something. I just don't know what yeah. it is. Yeah, death. Yeah, I can't say I foot. Instead of blood on your hands, it's on your feet. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's only got the one hand. So. Death is underfoot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Jamie thinks winter is marching south, and half the granaries are empty. Um, he finds himself wondering what his father will do to feed the realm. Then he realize he remembers Tywin is dead. In the morning, people are playing in the snow. Jamie has a sad thought about how you need two hands to make a decent snowball. I love that. I love this. How he, he his first, yeah, his first thought is, "Oh crap, how's my dad going to deal with this?" And it's like then he realizes, "Oh no, my dad doesn't exist anymore." It is it is very much more of that coming of age and responsibility of it's there a- is no Tywin to rely on. Yeah, yep, and then he immediately falls into this this memory kind of thing of. You know, this kind of day, I would usually be throwing snowballs at Tyrion and and throwing snow at Cersei. And it's like, it's a very clear sign that his childhood is over. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. I also sort of read it as him quick, just briefly reverting back to a childhood memory, just finding comfort in that as well. And it is a nice little memory as he thinks about them, you know, uh, throwing snowballs with Tyrion and how he'd slip a snowball down the back of Cersei's gown. But yeah, yeah, and then I, his I immediate agree. thought is, you need two hands to make a decent exactly. snowball, though. It's just more of that, into reality, that phase of life is over. Yeah, Jamie has so. been living this extended childhood for so long, and it's finally at Absolutely. an end. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Great. So um, there is a rap at the door. A letter has come from King's Landing. It's in Kyburn's letters, but it's Cersei's fevered and fervent words. Come at once, help me, save me. I need you now as I have never needed you before. I love you, I love you, I love you. When asked if Jamie wishes to answer, he replies, no, put it in the fire. And that brings us to the end of the chapter. So if we could jump 
right before Xerxes' little plea, if you actually look at what Kyburn, it says Kyburn's words were terse and to the point. And for me, what I just was trying to think of what Kyburn could have said as far as terse and to the point, and I came up with a couple things. He probably said that, you know, maybe Xerxes has been accused of a ton of fornications. She's going to be held on trial. She's most likely going to lose this trial. And King's Landing is in chaos right now. Yeah, yeah, and you can imagine how shocking this must be for Jamie to hear that as much as he thinks that things are going to go poorly under Cersei's rule, to hear that she's been arrested by the faith and is on trial for adultery and treason and stuff, I mean, this has to be shocking. But it's funny that the thing that is sticking out to him that he's most hung up on is that she's pleading with him for help. Yeah, same old, same old. And then what does he do? He says, just throw it in the fire. And with, you know, I guess symbolism or or metaphor doesn't come much clearer than this. Jamie's having Cersei's desperate plea for help burn. He's, He's totally done with her. And, you know, this is why he's done with her. It really all comes down to Jamie's you know, line that is probably one of his most quoted lines, the things I do for love. And I've spoken about this in the podcast before. I know Chicky has spoken about this on the podcast before. Um, so I'll try to be brief. But with Jamie, it's the people in his life that he loves. That's, that's all it is for Jamie. That's his entire world. If Jamie loves you, if you're in danger, he's going to try and do anything he can to try and save you. He will die for you without question. This is why Jamie pushed Bran out of the window, despite the fact that he did it with loathing. Um, you know, this is why Jamie freed Tyrion, despite the fact that, you know, it would have been risky to him. And, and treason. And treason and against treason, his own kid. Right. And I guess you could argue that this is why Jamie saved Brienne from the bear. Um yeah. So, you know, <laughs> and we would. <laughs> and we would, strongly and loudly. <laughs> and often. <laughs> and often. <laughs> Good, I'm on the right podcast. <laughs> you know, Cersei, we've, we've talked about this before, but, you know, she was the most important thing in Jamie's life. She was his world. And now he's learnt that she's in this real danger. She's facing death. And she sent him this letter, this desperate plea saying, Come and save me, Jamie, my shining knight. I love you, I love you, I love you. And that is what Jamie would... Yeah, well, that's what Jamie would have done previously. That was his role in his family. It was always the knight. It was always the protector. And now he's just, "Mm, nah, just chuck it in the fire. (laughs) And, you know, how many times have you guys seen people argue that the reason Jamie dismisses Cersei's plea is that there's nothing that he can do, really, to save her. I mean, what can he do? He's, he, he doesn't have a sword hand anymore. Yeah. He's just not very adept at fighting. But, he like, old Jamie, any... that wouldn't even have mattered, you know? Right, right. Even new right. Jamie, though. Even new Jamie, it doesn't matter. Well, that's yeah. right. It doesn't right. stop he, him he... from jumping in a bear pit. That's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> you know, people say, logically, what can Jamie do to save Cersei here? Well... Illogically, Jamie jumped into a bear pit to save Brienne, unarmed and one-handed. You know, illogically, Jamie cried out, sapphires to save Brienne, despite the fact that it could have gotten him killed. These are the things that Jamie does for love. This is what Jamie is. This is him in a nutshell. I have to ask, how happy did this part make you when you first read it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is like one of my 
say, you go boy, Jamie. <laughs> you <laughs> fucking go boy, yeah. friend. <laughs> well, you know, um, I mean, go ahead, Kristen. Oh. oh, Kristen, sorry, were you talking? Well, I was just going to say, it's also the, it's the third time that Jamie says no to Cersei, right? He says no to her when she wants him to leave the Kingsguard, and she said, he says, you know, he says no. Each time they're more subtle. It, they're more subtle. This is the, like, this is where George spells it out for the readers at wow. home, too, right? Like, what could be more deliberate, more laid out there for you, unless you're a Jamie Cersei shipper, than, <laughs> than I've, anyway, he but... burned the letter. Right. And even then, we've got people arguing that I've seen people argue that he did it to protect her, lest the letter fall into the wrong hand. Oh, yeah, I've seen that too. Which, as I said, you know, after my whole, my whole rant there, it goes against everything. If he loves you, he will do anything anything for you if you're in danger he will try and save you so you know i don't see how it could get much clearer here jamie did love cersei if this had happened prior to him learning about her manipulations about her betrayal there is no doubt in my mind that jamie would have jumped on a horse and just immediately took off for king's landing no doubt oh yeah oh yeah He's done with that noise. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you you see people argue that he is feeling angry and betrayed and he's, you know, really hurt right now and he's just lashing out. But it's funny, that's not at all the context that I see here. There, there's there's kind of a cool collectedness, and especially on the heels of the stream that he's just had, there's so much about the realities of his life as opposed to, you know, what, what he's viewed it as before and everything. Like I feel like this is a, a fairly calm move that he's making. He doesn't feel irrational yeah, or even yeah. that emotional about yeah, it. Yeah, I think, no, I'm sure I'm sure he's confused. I'm sure that he's angry. But as you say, there's kind of been this I guess this thread throughout the last couple of chapters of Jamie's particularly that has seen him take a more logical calm approach to things. You know, we were talking before about how he he's thinking about going back to Tommen and, and how he could sort of get his way into a position where he could help Tommen and how he would logically have to kind of get Cersei out of the way. But it's all very, I don't know, I feel like it's its sort of a removed thing. He sort of removed himself yeah. from the from the emotional part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, you can tell the way he, like, he rolled up the parchment really tight. And it's almost like you could almost hear him take a couple deep breaths mm-hmm. and then you know it's just a pause and he's just like no just burn it you know yeah yeah well we've we've seen him be more emotional throughout feast i mean there have been moments especially like right after he hears the truth from lancel when he is you know clearly outraged and, and feeling stupid and, and you can read all of that and everything that he says and Everything about this, I mean, from the fact that George frames it as as there's snow and it's cool and, and you know, everything is white and, and crisp and clear, um, you know, you just don't get some big emotional feeling from this. It, it almost feels like, feels like a calm, cool decision as well, though he's deciding something. I don't know. There is the part where Ian mentioned he does ball it up into his fist as tight and as hard as one hand would allow. To me, that's a I little mean, bit of yeah, a shame. I feel like that's resolution. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's just like. Look, I'm not. I <laughs> I, tend, a hand I was going to say paper. I tend to agree. <laughs> Look, I'm not. I think there probably is. There is some emotion in there. Surely, I think he's he's probably containing some of that emotion. But I do agree with Chicky. I think that this is 
quite a logical, cool, calculated move of Jamie's. Mm. I don't know. I can read past. It's so funny, you know, you see a lot of people talk about the fact, too, that, that Cersei says, I love you three times. And um, if you notice throughout Feast, Jamie has been kind of sarcastically throwing I love you's at, at Cersei. They're, they're clearly he means too, it, but at the same sister. time, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's funny, he does it three times, and she actually gives those three I love you's a response in this note. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, like she was well, keeping track. He was like, no, too late. <laughs> You took too long. <laughs> and what's interesting, too, is in Cersei's chapter, when she's writing this letter, um, doesn't Kyburn say something to the effect of, well, he doesn't have a hand, you know, how is he going to fight for you? And then she has this thought that, you know, we were born together and we'll die together. Yeah. So she's just trying to bring him back there. She just wants die. him to come die with her. Yeah, look, yeah. I'm, sure yeah. That, I'm sure that Cersei still believes that Jaime will come running. He'll drop everything and come running. She does. Uh, she, he, she does say, doesn't she say in one of her further chapters, he'd never abandon me for that woman when she hears about him yep. going off to, to go after yeah. Bran. Yeah. Well, even during her walk, she's convinced he's going to show yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So this really is, I mean, it can't get much clearer. This is a real deviation for Jamie. He's not in love with Cersei anymore. If he was, he'd be there. Yeah, well, the funny thing is we finally had George himself verify this he actually said in a quote that that cersei and jamie are effectively estranged right now right and wasn't the only that thing you, is wasn't that you last week chicky that was saying you know george only comes and clarifies things when they're really annoying him. <laughs> so i think george might have seen the theories online yeah. as well he's just trying yeah. to protect her <laughs> well cersei cersei isn't aware that they're estranged but jamie is no. oh, jamie's very aware <laughs> he's done, <laughs> he's done. Uh, and we're done i think all right <laughs> i think that's it okay so let's do some thank yous uh eon you got those right all right we got it we got a couple our first one is from joyous foley's and she says via 14 lol is a genius i'm crying the happy tears now thank you to all of you <laughs> the whole podcast i was sad and angry at george R. R. martin and the world i was with jamie in his cavern of doom but then this light of Peter Baelish impressions pulled me out of the darkness. You you guys are like my Brienne. Aww. I love you all so much. Aww, I'm you. glad you enjoyed our humiliation. Yes. We got a, a message from our birthday girl via 14 LOL. And she says, just finished listening to the podcast. You guys are great as usual. Thanks so much for doing my request. You really made my day. I haven't laughed so hard in a while. Best birthday. <laughs> They present ever and like <laughs> thank you for the request because i um, yeah. like when i re-listen i every time eon does her little finger impression i cry like, <laughs> i'm gonna say it's chicky that starts me off with hers because she, oh, yeah. she just sounds so not into it like she sounds really <laughs> she's like whatever here's some little finger next yeah. <laughs> chicky's like i was really trying <laughs> Yeah, no, Chicky oh, I just wanted to get it over with. Chicky, I'm like, yeah, fine. Chicky was like, wasn't Chicky the first one that yeah, jumped yeah. in first? So she yeah. sent me off, and then I just didn't stop. <laughs> they were Let's fun. See. So much Vi- fun. Yeah. Okay, Vaya, she also says they were the best voice impressions of Littlefinger I've ever heard. You guys were so good. I couldn't decide who was the best, so I'm giving everyone a 10 out of 10. Oh, Thanks God. again for doing this. I awesome. really appreciate it. I'm going to start my new career as a Littlefinger impersonator. <laughs> Why do you turn to shine? Yes. Of course, metaphors, all in little fingers. Oh, baby. 
It's what the people want, Muddy. It's what they want. <laughs> All right, we have Gollin Subterfuge says, whenever I hear sword or noose, I inexplicably think moose and squirrel. What? <laughs> I love you, I'm guys. guessing that's a Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even know. I don't even know. As a resident Canadian adjacent, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. Um, Joyous Foley's also says, "I love Lot's laugh after she reads the description of Stoneheart's face, She's and so of course evil. the little finger impressions." <laughs> she loved. It. I love my gore. I do. <laughs> she says everything else is pain. Oh, it really I can't listen to the, hey, the little, so it's No, I'm not listening horrible. to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those little finger impressions really pulled us out of our our little yeah, after, dark yeah. yeah, they, they were, were just what we needed. It really was. Yes. Thank you, Vaya. Yeah. <laughs> and last, Alien Alias uh, SD6 says it was such a sad podcast cries, mm. but the little finger impressions were amazing. <laughs> What I love about this is that everyone's wiped the bulk of the podcast from their mind and they're just concentrating on the little finger, which is, I think, what the rest of us have done. I honestly just fast forward to that part. (laughs) Everybody's got PTSD. Yeah. Is that it? Maybe we can get a, maybe we can get a group rate on the therapy after that. That's it. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, Thank you for those guys. Um, Thanks, guys. So we're doing an upcoming episode, um, which we'll be advertising on our Tumblr. Um, We're looking for uh, questions for a, I guess, a spouse cast or a hubby cast. So if you have any burning questions that you want answered from the men (laughs) in your life, (laughs) um, please send them. And you can do that at Gmail. Just close the door and no close the door and at gmail.com or you can reach us on tumblr at close the door and come here.tumblr.com um, we should also mention that i think all the hubbies have they all watch game of thrones i don't think they've read the books but they've watched mine does reluctantly mm-hmm. yes reluctantly <laughs> hmm. okay. i made my husband read the books oh excellent <laughs> i made mine do that too we've all tried <laughs> oh and um jamiebrand.com we have uh you can reach us there as well so thank you so much for podcasting especially thank you, you so much for moderating yeah Chris, yeah, thank Kristen, you so much you did you. so well thank you it was yes. a pleasure i hope you come back and podcast with us one day soon yeah. yes come back <laughs> I'd be happy to. Excellent. <laughs> that didn't sound genuine. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, I might consider it. Yes. I'd really be happy to. Yay. Yay. Better. <laughs> okay, okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks, bye.